0: A lot of trending thoughts today, a lot of things on the horizon on what people are thinking and what's going on, and the truth is our culture has some doubts. You face them, I face them, but not only does our culture have some doubts even about Christianity, uh, our culture has some doubts, and that's even inside the church. Strong Christians can deal with doubt. We, we call it worry or skepticism or criticism or cynicism, but Strong Christ followers deal with doubt. John the Baptist, who was imprisoned for his beliefs, had to send a letter to Jesus himself. John the Baptist, who, wa- who baptized Jesus into ministry, had to ask the question to Jesus, are you sure, are you really the one, or do I need to continue to look? Faced with his circumstances surrounding him, it caused him to have some doubts. And as I mentioned last week, as we begin to open up, do you know that when, the reason we do sermon series is because really a sermon series is one big sermon divided by multiple weeks. Now, you just think that every week is one big sermon, period. But the sermon series is one big sermon divided among many weeks. And what we have discovered is when we doubt God, we have thought in the church that people that doubt God that are Christians would be unacceptable, like, no, 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 no. Or, or, or they would be immature, and the older you get, and the more mature you are, the less you, you doubt God. Well, the truth is, it is normal for us to struggle, especially with our circumstances, when we're faced among critics, when our own emotions are in the way, when, when we have trials and tribulations. But the good news is, in all of this series, it is possible to doubt without being defeated. And I wanna encourage you to strengthen your beliefs and believe your beliefs and, not get, and doubt your doubts. Believe your, believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. We end up turning that around and we usually begin to just doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. But it is possible to doubt and not be defeated. Scripture says we're often troubled, but we don't have to be crushed. Sometimes we're in doubt, but we don't have to be in despair. And that's what this series, Grace and Truth, over trending is all about culture is trending on topics and ideology that really isn't that trending it's actually been since the garden of eden when the enemy wanted to question and bring a trending thought that you can't trust god into the mix it's been that way since the fall of humanity and the antidote to our trending doubts is is not just putting our fingers in our ears and closing our eyes and saying, oh, no, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But what we've invited is is grace and truth, 100% grace, 100% truth, those together is medicine to our culture and it's medicine to you and me. Last week, we ended our conversation about doubts in week one with this this prescription, more cowbell. No, it was, Pause the parrot. Everybody's got a parrot on their shoulder of things we've just repeated because we've heard it over and over and over again. And many times Christianity, when face to face with something that we haven't quite thought of, we just parrot what we thought we knew, but really we're just parroting instead of knowing deep down why we believe what we believe. And instead of having faith in what God has said, We end up having uh, faith in just what mama said, and it becomes a little parrot, and I'm inviting on both sides of that, whether you're a skeptic, or whether you're a seasoned saint, to pause the parrot of just repeating things we've heard and dig in for ourselves. I invited us to sit patiently with our doubts. Many times we don't pay attention to them, so we never question them, and do you know why the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise? Because those, souls that need to be won have questions. They have criticisms. And I can tell you that when I am face to face with those that have questions and criticisms, it makes me wiser because I search it out. I stretch my faith. I look for the truth like I would hidden treasure. And every single time I feel like I found it. We wanna sit patiently with those doubts so we can strengthen our resolve of knowing why we believe what we believe. I'm inviting both sides. Whether you're a skeptic in the room or you're amazed at everything God has done, to choose curiosity over defensiveness. Instead of saying, "Well, no, you, you know, how could you even think that?" to to lean into a skeptic and say, "What are your thoughts on that? What does make you think that way?" Strengthen your curiosity over being defensive. That no matter what side you are, if you're a Christ follower, it's 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 not optional. If you're not serving Christ and you're just kicking the tires on Christianity today, you don't have to do this. But if you're a Christian, you do have to, according to the book of Jude, be merciful to those who doubt. To offer mercy to those who are doubting. And also in the book of Isaiah, to all of us, come, let us reason together. Let's gather together and and then let's let's flesh this thing out. Today, we're going to talk about a trending topic. I'm so excited to get into this today. And here's the trending thought that really is not that trending. It started in the Garden of Eden when the the serpent, the enemy in the form of the snake said, did God really say you're not, you know, do this and don't do that? Did God really say, is God's word really his word? Can you really trust it? That's the... Trending topic for today. Uh, We we can't be sure the Bible's accounting of events is what really happened. The very fact that it was written by man makes the Bible unreliable. Like it's written by man, how can you even rely on it? Like pause, like so is your birth certificate. (laughs) Well, I read in a blog that you can't trouble, that was written by man. That's kind of a circular argument. Just because it's written by men doesn't mean we... Can't believe it. It shouldn't be the final authority for today's modern world. It shouldn't be the final authority. And look, in liberal churches, it isn't. I love to say this about Timber Creek. We are liberal in our diversity. We're educationally diverse, financially diverse. We're generationally diverse. Aren't you thankful, can't you just like put your hands together all locations for a generational, educational, financially diverse church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're liberal in our diversity, but we're conservative in our theology. We're very, co- in meaning staunch, meaning not moving, meaning s- solid here, tradition in our theology, our 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 understanding of who God is. And that conservative theology is not based on my opinion, it's based on the Word of God as the final authority. So, should the Word of God be the final authority? Well, some churches would even say, it's suggestions, not necessarily commandments. It really goes on what you feel. But for us, at Timber Creek, The word of God is the final authority. But but, but that's not even the question of what Timber Creek's final authority is. The the question today is, what will be the final authority for my life? Because it really doesn't matter what the final authority is of this church. I mean, it matters in our being full gospel and being uh, strong in our faith and being solid in our foundation. But for you. What's the final foundation? For you, what's the final authority when everything is up against the wall? When the heat is turned up, is it going to be my comfort zone like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children who, if they didn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, they would have been thrown into the furnace? And when the heat goes up, do we we bow down to cultural pressures or do we stand strong and have the final authority of God's word in our life? Everybody has a final authority. You have a final authority. Kids have a final authority right now. It's to honor their parents right Honor, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But whether that's their final authority or not, they're learning that as they grow and they're gonna push against that. They're gonna push against it, why? Because even kids and adults, whether you're three or 53 or 83, we love to be the final authority in our life. Another question is, where will I place my deepest, most fundamental trust? Because it's one thing to say, this is the final authority in my life. God, you're the final authority. But when I lose the paycheck, am I willing to do whatever it takes, even bend the word of God in order to provide for my family? The final authority for my life, God's the final authority, until the word of God contradicts my life and it contradicts my emotions, And that looks good on paper, but like, this is the way, this is the best way. Uh, I mean, I know he said, love your enemies, but I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me in today's day and age? No, let's burn them to the ground. Why? Well, because I mean, love your enemies looks good on paper. But there's a big difference between the final authority and that final authority being your deepest, most fundamental trust. So the final authority for my life could be myself and the way I feel, the way I see, what makes most sense to me. No doubt the final authority for my life could be my world, the world I'm living in and the voices from this world. I'm inviting us to consider God's word being the final authority for my life. Now what's interesting and kind of the the tension here is I encourage you to let God's word be the final authority for your life, but you also have to wrestle with something that we are taught since we're small, and that is don't believe everything you read. Like, believe everything you read in the Bible, but don't believe everything you read. We teach that all over. And one of the, one of the greatest uh, life skills all of us have to learn, and I'm telling you, you can see on Facebook and everywhere else, a lot of people have not learned this, that they have not learned how to decipher what they're reading, to really believe what they're reading. Many people don't know fact over fiction. Well, no, I read that on Facebook, it must be true. Reality over fantasy. Truth over what's trending. When it comes to God's word today, I just wanna offer some thoughts. But let me start with this fundamental piece. I'm not here to give you a watertight argument, although these are strong thoughts today. I'm not here to give you the end all be all because all of this requires a level of faith to believe in what you don't always see. Um, I'm not gonna give you necessarily a watertight argument but I can't offer you a watertight person. That's where we're headed today. It reminds me of a little story, um, little classroom in the Middle East, years and years and years and years and years ago, little Hindu classroom, and the teacher says, uh, Where is the earth? And, and, and they say, It's it's in the sky, and and how is the earth hang in the star, in the in the universe? And they And the belief was, in that teaching of Hinduism at the time, that the earth was situated on elephants, on the back of some elephants. And so one of the kids says, the earth is is resting on the back of elephants. And then the teacher said, what are the elephants sitting on, standing on? And one little child said, "A a turtle. And that was the belief that the earth sat on the backs of turtles and or backs of elephants and then the, those elephants were standing on a big cosmic tortoise a big big cosmic turtle and then the teacher said well yes but what's what is the turtle on and one of the boys said another turtle well what that what is that turtle on and then the boy said it's turtles all the way down it's turtles all the way down at some point for you it's going to be reason all the way down It's going to be opinion all the way down. For some of you, it might be archaeology all the way down, science all the way down. I'm just inviting you to trust a person. It's not your pastor, he's your savior. All the way down. But let's start with why I believe you can trust the Bible. Well, I believe you can really trust the Bible. First, I'll start with, I think, a key element. In fact, many people will say, <clears throat> I trust Jesus and, I, and I, I, I like the teachings of Jesus, but the whole Bible, mm, I think you gotta take all that with a grain of salt. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus, but the Bible, I don't know. Well, here's what's interesting. Number one, the scriptures were trusted by Jesus. Like Jesus trusted scriptures. When tempted by the enemy, Jesus appealed to the scripture. Multiple times throughout the gospels when Jesus is tempted after the, being water baptized by John, uh, he would quote, it is written 40 different times in the gospels, Jesus says it's written 180 times in the Gospels. Jesus quotes other scripture. When opposed by the Pharisees, Jesus didn't say, yo mama. He didn't say, oh I know you are, but what am I? Actually, he did kind of say that. You know, who do you say that I am? (laughs) Um, But when opposed by the Pharisees, he so rested on scripture, not just in his own divinity, he said, you're in error Not because I'm God and you're not, but because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't see the power of God at work in me because I'm the son of God, but you also don't know the scriptures. Jesus rested on scripture. When teaching the crowds, Jesus upheld it. Now, many times he would say, you've heard it said, but I tell you, and that was never contradicting the scripture. That was simply strengthening and fulfilling the scripture through himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Matthew 5, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That he now, it's not about you following the law of the Old Testament, that Jesus comes in perfection and he fulfills all that and now we lean into the grace and truth of Jesus as the fulfillment of those things. When dying Jesus quoted it. Before you write the word quoted in your notes, this morning as I was looking at that, I said, that's not, no, it's way beyond quoting it. When dying on the cross, Jesus modeled it. Like it's one thing to quote it, and he quoted it all all throughout the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is not the first time. It's actually written in Psalm 22 and it's the words of David, the king of Israel. Now the king of the world is dying in Israel. And he's quoting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> because he's modeling the fact that he is going to be forsaken so you can be chosen, so you can be received, so you can be adopted. Scripture Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the very first words on the cross as Jesus is not only pierced with nails, but having been flogged to the point of almost dying, thorns crushing, piercing into his forehead, being mocked, and his beard plucked out and punched and bruised and stripped naked. The first thing he does, like you're not you when you're hungry. In the middle of all of that unbelievable, excruciating pain and mockery, Jesus models what he taught, and he models scripture, and he quotes scripture, but he says, Father, forgive them. He prays, for his enemies. They don't know what they're doing. So why do I trust the Bible? Because Jesus trusted the word. Jesus was not only the word in the flesh, but he trusted the word. So I think if Jesus can trust the scripture, if Jesus goes back 180 different times and quotes scripture, even Adam and Eve, then. In faith I can know if Jesus is using even Adam and Eve then this idea of the narrative of the garden of Eden I can lean into that Can I prove it? Well, it's it's faith all the way down. It's faith all the way down. Number 2. The Bible is thematically unified the theme of the Bible is thematically unified. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Now, for some of you kiddos, okay, you may not even know what it's like to tune in to a radio or tune in to a television, right? I mean, there are some kids that have never had to click channels to go past commercials. Oh, makes me sick. I mean, I had to wait an entire week. I mean, I, we only got cartoons on Saturday. Remember that, everybody? Now you have it in your phone in the car 24-7. And Thank God for that on long trips. But in the old cars, and even now in some of the vehicles, you can press scan on the radio, and the radio will go through and scan the different radio stations. Imagine there being 66 radio stations there on... The radio, and as you tune in with a button or even turning the knob, you start to hear something in that frequency, from country to classical, from death metal to I can only imagine, from hip-hop to talk news, from top 100 to the golden oldies Imagine 66 different radio stations, and as you tuned into them, you had completely different artists and completely different genres, but as you tuned in and you began to listen to one word here and the other word here and one lyric there and the other lyric there, how incredible would it be, how mysterious would it be that all of those songs that as you tune into the radio frequencies that all are developing the same story like you I mean that would be pretty incredible it'd be insane it'd be wild that would be a miracle truly I mean you would have to have some rap music about a truck and a dog and country music about I don't know whatever (laughs) but you'd have to have it all together 66 different radio stations. Well, there's 66 books in the Bible. And there are 40 authors written in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, written over the course of 1,500 years and on three continents. This is not a relay race and a baton passes and one person takes this page and then adds to it. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that you we're gonna write a book, but you gave 40 different authors say, hey, you write a page, I'll write a page. What are you writing about? Just just write what's on your mind. And you get those pages together, that's what's happening. It's not like all 40 of those authors got around and said, well, what do you think? What do you think? Hey, what if we do it this way? There was thematic element from Genesis to Revelation over the course of 1500 years. Wildly different genres in the Bible. It may not be classical or death metal, but it is. History books and poetry books, family trees and building plans, song lyrics and statistics, diaries and prophecies. Not only is it wildly different genres, but it's wildly different authors. The authors of the Bible, some were young and some were old, some were professionals, some were peasants, some were soldiers and civil servants, fishermen and doctors, shepherds and scholars, kings and cabinet makers. And yet all 66 books, when put together, it is a unified symphonic drama with a single theme. And here's the single theme. God created humanity. He wanted us to be his, but we don't want to be his. We wanna be our own, and he loves us anyway. And even though we've pushed against him, put a middle finger up against him, turned our cold shoulder to him, he is since the beginning of time had a plan to bring us back to himself it's the whole story of God it's a single theme and the good news is the good news is it's a single hero i mean we see we see job who learned how to suffer under extreme circumstances but we know one who chose to suffer under extreme circumstances we see david who faced uh, face to waste with a giant, but we know a true hero who conquers the greatest giant that will ever live, and that's death and sin. We see the story of God of three Hebrew children in front of the fiery furnace, but we see one who will walk with us through the fire. It's a big old story, and it's a lot of genre, and it's a lot of stuff, but it's singularity in its theme, and it's single. Hero. And guess who the hero is? It ain't you. <laughs> it's Jesus. Number three, your Bible, your, your Bible, is textually accurate. One of the big trending thoughts is that how can you know for sure that the Bible you hold in your hand it hasn't been molested and perverted by power-hungry, controlling people. I mean, you know that they wrote this, but like it could have been their own thoughts, not God's thoughts. And like they would have just written it to kind of like prove their point. Can I just pause and say, if that's the case, um, then why did the authors of the Bible, many of them face unbelievable death? If they wanted to garner power they wouldn't have put it in someone who had died. They would have put it in themselves. If they wanted to have control, they wouldn't have talked about a humbling yourself. They wouldn't have talked about a walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The whole thing is countercultural. I mean, Peter himself, writing several books of the New Testament, he. He ends up, according to another scholar outside of the Bible, dies being crucified upside down. You're you're in good company if you doubt. One of his own disciples of Jesus was a doubter. He had a nickname. They called him Tommy the Doubter. In the King James, we'd say Thomas the Doubter or Doubting Thomas. But the old Tommy boy, Tommy the Doubter. He doubted, but you know that narrative shows us in other scholarly work that Thomas became a missionary to India and was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. A spear was thrown through the neck of Thomas as he was in a pit communicating the message of Jesus and was killed defending his faith. Your Bible, though, is textually accurate, regardless of what we would think would want to n- n- pervert it. Let me just show you some, just, just one thing. There's so many things I could show you, but let me just show you one thing. Plato, many college students will go into college and they've been parroting Christianity versus really getting it deep down. And I don't blame, I don't, I don't blame just the, the child, and I don't blame just the parent, and I don't just blame just the church. It's all of us. I blame all of us. But instead of having a faith that's built to last, we have parrots that get shot off the shoulder with one philosophy class. One conversation says, I never thought about it that way. We gotta do better at building up our faith. But there's not professors saying, Plato, I mean, how can we even know that the works we have of Plato are textually accurate today? They're not questioning Plato. As a matter of fact, Plato was written 400 B.C., when Plato existed. The earliest copy of any kind of manuscripts we have of the works of Plato were found in 8900. That means 1,300 years after Plato lived, we get the first copy. How many copies of his work have been excavated? How many copies have we found and have? 1,300 years later, we have seven copies of the work of Plato. Nobody's going to college saying, I just don't know about this Plato guy. The New Testament. The New Testament was written around 80, 50, and 100. Why is that important? Because there were still eyewitnesses to what they were writing about. Names of witnesses in the story. So that you could go to the people and say, I heard that your uncle... Cleopas was walking with Jesus after he was resurrected. Like, it was word of mouth, but it was also that's how you had evidence. And it was written while many other people could say, "Nah." and can, by the way, can I just say Jesus grew up in his own family was like, really? I mean, you would too if if your older brother was walking around like raising the dead. You're like, "Mm," you know, I remember you at 12, you know, goober. You know, like, 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 James, the brother of Jesus, and even some of the family members, they struggle, they said, calm down, Jesus. You're gonna get yourself killed. And yet later, the book of James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he says, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, like his own family. So that in and of itself should tell you, like, if your own family begins to believe you are the Messiah, because who is more critical of you than your family? I mean, people will say, Janet, is your husband just great all the time? And she's like, oh, heck no. (laughs) Like, you know, it's family that really knows. It's family that really knows. And all these eyewitnesses written 80, 50 to 100, the earliest copy we have is 150, so like 120 years after Jesus, not 1,300 years after Pluto, but 120, so the closeness of that copy is important. And 300 years later, after Jesus, after Jesus had died and resurrected, within 300 years later, we have excavated 24,600 copies of the New Testament. 24,600 copies. Why? Because he's not going to let his word go unnoticed. And, and why do we trust seven copies of Plato, but not 24,600 copies of the He says, well, because, you know, because our life depends on it. It doesn't depend on Plato. And we're gonna challenge those things. But uh, 24,600 copies, that's easy if you have a Kinkos. But I want you to know the meticulous work that went into that. You know people that have meticulous work, cabinet makers who meticulously, their, their work is meticulous. Think about, think about someone who works in a nuclear reactor, And the meticulous detail to safety that they have to walk in with their hazmat suit and their special gloves and all of their protocols to be able to move these unbelievably um, full of radiation pieces of rock. Like you would have to be incredibly meticulous or you would die. We understand that area of meticulousness, but think about how meticulous they were to see these copies because there is no kinkos, there is no copy machine. And so just like there is family business where daddy was unbelievable in his wood shop and then the son is, is whittling too and then the grandson and they pick up the trade, there were tribes of people, sects of people. Um, the Maseratic tribe, the Sephirim tribe, the Talmudic tribe. And the, the children of these people were separated specifically to take on the family business and the family business was transcribing the Holy Scriptures. And they would trans, they would live their life transcribing one letter at a time. The word and, they wouldn't say and. They would say A-A-N-N-D-D. They would wash themselves ceremonially before sitting down with the parchment and the pen. Anytime they were to write the name Yahweh, they would use an older pen and not a new pen with new ink. They would write with an older pen so as not to smudge the name of God. It's meticulous detail. Even in those copies, can there still be some accidents? Yeah, because they're human, but human accidents doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it's not Scripture-inspired. In fact, People so hung up on the King James, the 1630 version of King James, one of the, the copies says, Thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> they forgot not in the, in, the script, in, the, in, in the transcription Thou shalt commit adultery. That's a human error, not God error. <laughs> and we all know that to be the fact. <laughs> okay. 24,600 copies. And you can rely on it. You can hang on to it. And those copies don't contradict one another. Number four, the Bible is scientifically sound. What? The Bible is scientifically sound. See, see, here, here, here's, we know, here's why we know the word of God is the word of God, okay? The, 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 we know it's the word of God because of what isn't in these pages. We know it's the word of God because what isn't in these pages, not just what is. The protection of God's holy scripture, it's amazing. It's amazing because back in the day when the scripture was written, the science of the day was different. It was different. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the science textbooks 50 years ago, your science textbook 50 years ago is gonna be different than the science textbook today. How many of you were told don't, don't put your babies on, on your tummy? Don't put your babies on your tummy when they're sleeping. Anybody ever told that? How many people told don't put your babies on your back when they're sleeping? Yeah? It's been both. It's been both. That's like on the side and wrapped up and you know all this stuff. Um, There was all kinds of science of the day. Look, 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 look. Most of the Bible is written, the New Testament is written in Greek. And the Greek mythology of the day, Zeus, Atlas, in fact, Bible said, uh, Greek mythology said that Atlas holds up the world on his shoulders. And that was the teachings of the day. It doesn't make it into the scripture. Here, here's one. The earth is flat. That, obviously, that's been a teaching of, of years gone by. And if you're still there, okay. There's a church anyone can come to. <laughs> um, the earth is flat. Moses, growing up in Egyptian household, would have had the best Egyptian, uh, the best Egyptian education known to man. However, however, Egyptians believed that the world was held up by four columns. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So why isn't those four columns in there? That was the science of the day. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says God is enthroned about the sphere of the earth. The earth has to be held up. We already talked about the classroom years and years ago in the Middle East and the the Hindu teacher. The earth has to be held up. Atlas holding the world on its shoulders. How is it supposed to stay where it is? And yet the book of Job says God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. The stars could be counted. This was science of the day. We were counting the stars. There were no Hubble telescopes. And in 150 B.C., a guy by the name of Hipp, Hipparchus, Hippie, 150 B.C., 150 years before Jesus, Hipparchus set out to count the stars. And after years, he came up and said, I got it. I got it. I counted the stars. This was the science of the day. 1022 stars. Got it. Done. <laughs> go hip. Go hip. Hipparchus. Well, 450 years later, in 300 AD, Ptolemy said, I'm on. That can't be right. That can't be right. And so Ptolemy said, No, I refuse to believe the science of the day. And he went and he searched it out. And after he had counted, he said, Hipparchus was wrong. It's 1026. I found four more, (laughs) and had they just opened up to Jeremiah, the prophet says the number of stars are infinite. Science, even in our America, too much blood would make you sick, too much blood makes you sick. Our first president. Had an infection, he didn't die of the infection, he died of the remedy. He died of the medical science of the day. The medical science of the day was we gotta cut this guy and get rid of some blood. So George Washington was bled to death because of believing the science, the medical science of the day. And Moses, how would Moses even know this when he writes in Leviticus, the life of every creature is in its blood. The list could go on. There is not a science, you don't read the Bible to learn how to build a rocket, okay? It's not a science book. It's not a science book. It's not meant to give you all the answers and the mysteries because God's mysterious. It's not meant to be the end-all, be-all textbook for math or even the art of science. But it's actually scientifically sound because of what's not in it. It Doesn't make all these claims. My history teacher, my senior year of high school said, I can't get around the Bible, I just can't believe it's the word. And I said, why? He said, well I'll give you one example, and this was the example he gave. He said, you know that in the Old Testament it says that they fought this battle and that God made the sun stand still. Well, duh, the sun stood still, the sun does stand still. I mean, that means nothing, that means nothing. And it actually, as a senior in high school, I had enough parrot on my shoulder, I went back to my dad, and I said, Dad, what does that mean? And My dad gave me a question to ask my history teacher the next day. I went back the next day, said, Mr. Arnold, have you ever seen a sunset? He said, well, yeah. I said, what do you mean you've seen a sunset? Because the sun doesn't move. Have you ever seen a sunrise? You haven't seen the sun rise. Just because the Bible says the sun stood still, it was their only understanding of the sun at the time. But just because you say sunset, it's a figure of speech. It's not scientific technology. There are things, though, we love to twist and try and make them out to be something that they're not. It's metaphorical language, not not a proof that would say that the God's word isn't true. I gotta move on. The Bible is precise in its predictions, and I'm gonna wrap up. The Bible is precise in its predictions. 2,500 predictions given in the Bible. 2,000 of them have happened, and all 2,000 of them have been accurate. We're waiting on 500 predictions. As we know it, God is a plan to not only bring us to this point, but a new heaven and new earth. 300 predictions about what the Messiah would look like hundreds of years before his birth. And I don't mean look like like a beard and long hair and look like a Swedish person like we have in our portraits, no, he was actually a Jew. He was precise in its predictions. 29 of the 300 predictions of Jesus were accomplished in the last hours of Jesus' life alone. One of these predictions given 700 years before Jesus would even come on the scene that he would be born in Bethlehem, yet Jesus' parents didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in another place. Because God's word is not gonna return void. God orchestrated a census to take place so that Joseph and Mary, I mean, who wants to take, I mean, what man in their right mind is gonna take their nine-month pregnant wife on on a donkey journey across the Middle East? Like, you know, you don't do that, you figure it out, you figure it out, i just have that baby. But God had his way, and a baby's born in Bethlehem. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It shows us Psalm 22, and Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before Jesus is crucified, gives us prediction after prediction after prediction. When you read it, it's amazing. It's as if you're reading the crucifixion story hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. The Bible's precise in its predictions. Number six, the Bible is archeologically confirmed. The Bible is archeologically confirmed. For years, we thought that there was no real proof of the Israeli monarchy, this whole idea of Israel and the nation of Israel and and Solomon and and Saul and David. Up up until, just in the last uh, 170 years, in 1868, the Misha stone was found. Misha was the king of Moab, a neighboring country. And the king of Moab was writing on this stone and towards the 23rd line, describes, describes an a attack and a battle fought at a particular place against a certain army, the house of David. And in Kings chapter three, we read about that exact battle. But in archaeology, they thought that there was no real proof of Pontius Pilate. I mean, if you can't have any proof that there was a guy named Pontius Pilate exist, how can you even believe in Jesus? Because he's the one that washes his hands and says, "Okay, you can have Barabbas or, or or Jesus. Who do you choose? Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus." And how can we even believe that whole story? There's no even proof of Pilate even existing until 1960 when the capital of a column uh, excavated in Caesarea, Israel, had the inscription of this big Colosseum dedicated to the prefect of Judah, Pontius Pilate. A shepherd in 1946, goofing off, doing what shepherds do, throwing a rock at a goat, throws a rock at a goat, goes into the cave, and he hears some pottery crash, and in this cave, around the Dead Sea, thousands upon thousands of scrolls tucked away for preservation. Every single book you hold in your Bible today, except for the book of Esther, and Esther was excavated in other places, Every single book you hold in your Bible today of the Old Testament was found in scrolls dated hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. The entire book of Isaiah unwrapped every chapter of the book of Isaiah. When you compare Isaiah 53, that is the um, prophecy chapter, that describes the Messiah and where he'll be born of a virgin and he will will, um, be uh, pierced for your transgressions, all of those things in Isaiah 53. When you compare the book of Isaiah that was dated 700 years before Jesus comes onto the scene, that one that is found in this Dead Sea, and you compare it to the one you have in your hand today, there were seven-letter differences because of the way we spell honor and the word and. Had been added to your Bible versus the scroll held and protected for all those years. Can you believe what's in your hand? Yes, you can. Five thousand known sites, only three of them, hundred of them, 300 of them, have been excavated so far. But out of those 300, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. No archaeological discovery has has proven the Bible anything but true. Number seven, the Bible survived all attacks. It is the most disputed, debated, denied, disruptive form of literature the world has ever seen. It has been burned in wars. Wars have been fought over it. And by the way, for the skeptic that says, uh, religion has caused more wars than anything else. By the way, 2% of the deaths and wars have been religious wars, 2% of the 100%. And that wasn't because God said, have war, our God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not say, have wars, and do this and do that. Jesus, the prophet of our God, didn't say, go have a war and defend me like that. That was was men who fought. Had they read the scripture, they would have known there could have been a different way. There could have been a different way. Jesus never told us to take up our arms and fight each other. He said, actually, love your enemies and pray over them. Jesus, in the book of Jeremiah, God says, I'm actively watching over my word to fulfill it. Why has it survived all these attacks? Because God's overseeing it, because he watches over his word. Jesus himself in the book of Matthew says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Can you trust what's in your hand? Yes, you can. You don't have to, but you can. So is that a watertight argument? No, because you're going to have to still, no matter what you do, have an element of faith to believe in what you can't see or what you can't quite know or what hasn't yet been revealed. So next steps would be, maybe you're asking a question, what if I'm still not convinced? Like, you know what would really convince me? You know what really convince me, Pastor? is if like I could see someone that didn't have an arm and their, their arm would, would grow out and I would see a miracle. I'd be convinced if I could see that. I'd be convinced if, if I raised, if, 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 if I went to a funeral and was raised from the dead, I'd be convinced if, if miracles could take place. I'd be con- I could be convinced and little do you know, miracles do still take place and crazy things like that still do happen. Out of seven billion people in a world that's really, really bigger than you, God's still moving in the supernatural. Um, but even when Jesus was in the flesh on the earth, Lazarus was dead four days, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. And you would have thought that the Pharisees would have seen that and said, Oh, my God, he is who he says he is but their eyes were blinded to their own emotions, their own opinions, and their own feelings. They didn't let Jesus be the final authority. They were scared of losing their authority. And in seeing the miracle of Lazarus, they decided we're gonna have to kill this guy. Friend, don't wait to your deathbed. Don't wait for an angel to visit you. I believe with all my heart Jesus has given you everything you need. He's waiting on you. He's just waiting on you. But I also want to say, what if I'm still not convinced? Can I just tell you this? It's not about knowing a book. it's, It's not about knowing a book. The word of God is holy. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It it, it can be abused. It can also be the foundation of an unbelievable life. But it's not really even about knowing this book, can I be honest? As a matter of fact, the gospel writer of the book of John, John said, these things, all these miracles were written not so that you would know all the Bible, but so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. then, by believing, you may have life through his name. Just reading the Bible will not give you life. It will show you the life you were meant to live, but it won't give you life. But when you go beyond a book and you go to the Word made flesh, Jesus Way beyond a philosophy. He's a person. Philosophy won't wrap an arms around you. A philosophy won't cry over you. Philosophy won't be grieved, but a person can be. Jesus loves you and he cries with you and he gives you what you need when you need it. There will be a final authority for your life. There will be a final authority. And you will place your deepest most fundamental trust somewhere but in the in the words of <laughs> Winnie the Pooh <laughs> as he sees a jar of honey and the tape on it says honey but it's spelled h u n n y Winnie the Pooh goes up to the honey and it seems to be honey because it says it's honey And the Bible seems to be the word of God because it even says it's the word of God. But even if you rip off the title of the word of God and it says it's the word of God, but does it look like the word of God? And Winnie the Pooh looks at the honey and says, it looks like honey, but I don't know if it's honey because even cheese can look like this color, Winnie the Pooh says. And it can look like the word of God and seem like the word of God. It says it's the word of God, but Winnie the Pooh tastes the honey. And when he says, oh, yes, it is, no doubt about that, it is honey. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he was never meant to be a story for you to read on pages, but to be a living empower, a living power to be encountered in everyday life, taste and see. And for the little Hindu child, years and years ago, it may have been turtles all the way down. For you and me, listen. Let it be Jesus, all the way down. You can stand on. Pray with me today. Two prayers. Today, you have an opportunity to make a decision that I I, want to believe in this Jesus. I want to put my trust in this Jesus. You can still have questions and still have struggles and choose today to place the deepest, most fundamental trust of your life in him. And if you need to do that, or maybe you've, you've tried that in the past, but you've drifted from that. We're all like sheep. We, we drift. But today, you want to anchor yourself in who Jesus is as your Lord and Savior in the fundamental trust of your life. If that's you all across our campuses, just put a hand up in the air, and I want to pray with you. Yeah. Put it up. Just all over the place. Okay. Put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. Jesus sees you way beyond I could see you. He sees your heart. He knows the inner workings of your heart. In your own words, you say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. Help me with my next steps to put my fundamental trust in who you are, not who I am or not what this world says I'm supposed to be. Thank you for not being mad at me, Jesus, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. I place my trust in you. Now, for the second prayer, um, you just need to be strengthened in your faith. You just, you just want to be strengthened. You love Jesus. is Jesus all the way down, but you've struggled, and you just want to re-re-strengthen your faith today. If that's you, just put a hand up. I want to pray over you, too. I'm, I'm, I'm there. God, there's areas in my life that I've not f- put my full trust in you. I place my trust in you today. Thank you, Jesus. I give everything to you. It's you all the way down into the deepest parts of my life. And when my life doesn't match up to your word, it's not you who should change, it's me. So help me to change. Help me to move closer and closer to you, who you've called me to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.